presence of the Lord. And we're going to pick up where um, the Bible Projects video ended with Micah chapter 6. But before I do, I want to naturally remember our uh, question for our children. And so uh, last week I said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you need to be a star. You need to be a star. And star was an acronym for you need to be S, saved. You need to be T, fill in the T. You need to be A, fill in the A. And you need to be R, fill in the R. So fill in the T, fill in the A, fill in the R. And then you send your answer to the email address uh, below on, at the bottom of the screen. And hopefully if you're right, you'll receive something. Amen. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, because you are now focusing our mind on what biblical justice is all about. I pray that my speech and my preaching will not be with the enticing words of Brian Green, our man's wisdom, but let it be demonstration of spirit of power that our faith will not rest in the wisdom of Brian Green, but in the power of God. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory will give unto all of us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, as Ephesians 1 says, let the eyes of the understanding of our hearts be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance that is in each of us who are your saints. Help us to know the exceeding greatness of your power towards us who believe it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. In Hebrews chapter 2, I pray that you will bear witness to my ministry, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've been hearing our theme of biblical justice and focusing on that last verse where it says, the Lord told us, or told you, O man, uh, what is good. And what does the Lord require? He requires us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly before our God. But I want to give us some background, some context, so that we understand the heart of God and how he wants us to move forward throughout this year when it comes to executing his purpose of biblical justice. Little background regarding uh, this prophet Micah. Micah is a prophet who he is in his his particular writings in the Bible is put in a group called the Minor Prophets. The Old Testament is divided up into a few parts. There is the Pentateuch or the Book of the Law of Moses, and then there's the history, and then there's poetry from. Uh, the book of Psalms, all the way through Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. And then we go to the major prophets, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations written by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They are the major prophets. They're major only because of their prophecies are very long. Uh, Isaiah alone has 66 chapters. And then there's the 12 minor prophets that ends 
uh, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And they're considered minor because not so much minor in the sense of importance, but minor in the sense of their prophecies are very short, like Obadiah is only literally one chapter, one page. So we have Micah, and some of you may not realize that uh, many times we look at the Bible and we think of these prophets in sequential order simply based on uh, the way they are positioned in the Bible, but that is not the case. And I don't want to go through a whole Bible uh, study teaching. If you want that, come out on Tuesday nights on Zoom at the Bible study. But I will say this, that some of you may not realize that Isaiah, which the morning prayer uh, ministry, there's over anywhere between 50 and 80 people who meet at morning prayer from 6 a.m. to 7, and they're traveling through one chapter of the book of Isaiah every day during this Lent season. But what you may not realize is that Isaiah and Micah, they are contemporaries. They prophesied to both Israel, which was the northern kingdom, the ten tribes in the northern kingdom, and they also prophesied to Judah, which is the southern kingdom made up of Benjamin and uh, Judah, which is the tribe that David come from and the tribe that Jesus was eventually going to come through. Uh, they prophesied to both of those kingdoms. Uh, they prophesied judgment, Micah and Isaiah. They prophesied judgment to the northern kingdom, saying that basically uh, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to bring, they are going to be the hammer of the Lord. They're going to be the, the whooping of the Lord on, uh, on the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom. Uh, and as a matter of fact, uh, when they prophesied, that is Isaiah and Micah, when they prophesied to, uh, to Israel, their prophecy literally came to pass in about 20 years. Um, Isaiah and Micah prophesied around 740 B.C., and then about 20 years later, the Assyrians came in and they wiped out Israel. Micah and Isaiah also prophesied to the tribe of or the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. And they basically said the Babylonians are going to come in and destroy you, but that took a little bit longer. In fact, that was probably about, say, about 150 years later, which, is, which, is, which was heartbreaking for God because God said, all right, I, I put judgment on Israel in 20 years, and then he says to Judah, I gave you an extra 130 years to repent after you saw what happened to your sister Judah and yet you, your sister Israel, and yet you still behaved in the same manner. Micah's name, Micah, Michael, Michelle, they all mean the same in Hebrew, and the name means who is like Yahweh or who is like the Lord. Isaiah as an aristocrat, he was upper class, he was um, very distinguished. He lived in the city, uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Micah, though, lived sort of in the suburbs. He, he lived about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem. You may say, what does that 
know, help me to understand this. So it's basically, put it this way, um, Isaiah lived in Boston, but Micah lived in Framingham, okay, 25 miles. Um, and so they were contemporaries. They, they, they ministered and prophesied at the same time. And so Micah is now prophesying in, I'll pick up at verse 6, and this is frightening because verse 6, sorry, chapter 6, verse 1 starts out with the Lord bringing an indictment. So this is a court case. And verse 1, the Lord is saying through Micah, hear what the Lord says, arise, okay, everybody in court, arise and sit down, plead your case before the mountains. So the Lord is saying to Judah, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and your enduring, enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. So God is calling the mountains and the hills to be a jury with regards to how man has been behaving. And so God brings an indictment. And the, and the word indictment, actually the etymology of the word indictment means to declare in writing, uh, indicio, indicio, to, to declare in writing. What is the Lord declaring in writing? Meaning in the scriptures, he is, he is declaring in writing the, the criminal charges that he is bringing against his people. The Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. And he says, oh, my people, Lord, have mercy. And, and, and before we wave our finger at Israel, I wonder what kind of indictment the Lord has against us who are his believers. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about, well, you know, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity, but now I came to Jesus. No, I'm talking about how we are behaving right now. And God's pleading, oh, my people, verse 3, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. In other words, what have I done to cause you to behave the way you're behaving? What, what have I done to cause you to break my covenant? And then, my God, he begins, he, God, picture, and we have a lot of lawyers in our church, picture the courtroom, and now God is bringing evidence. And so he, he says, here is evidence, ex exhibit A, verse 4, here's the evidence. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, exhibit A. Exhibit B, I redeemed you from the house of slavery. Exhibit 3, Exhibit C, I sent before you Moses. In other words, I gave you a prophet. A pr and, and let me keep going and I can come back. Exhibit D, I gave you Aaron. When God blesses a people, oh my goodness, when God blesses a people, he gives them good leadership. 
When God curses a people, he says he'll give you children for leaders. That's a curse of God. When you have bad leadership, America, it's a curse from God. And so God is saying, I gave you a prophet and I gave you a priest. What a blessing. Meaning, here's the difference between a prophet and a priest. A prophet speaks to the people for God. If there's a true prophet, their word will come true, and that's a blessing. But if there's a false prophet, prophet, like all those folks who said, President, the Lord said, President Trump was going to win, they are false prophets. And shame on them for not repenting. And, and, and scrubbing what they posted or doubling down. Just humble yourself and say you're wrong. When God, see, see, when God stops speaking to you as the people of God, that's a curse. But God said, I gave you Moses. I gave you a person who I said was the meekest man on the earth, who I said nobody was like this dude who speaks to me face to face. And then I gave you a priest. A prophet speaks to the people for God. A priest speaks to God for the people. I gave you an intercessor. And praise God, we have Jesus, who's both prophet and priest. And even now, he is still being a priest, sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, pleading to God on our behalf. Exhibit E, I gave you Miriam, an anointed worship leader. Whew. I gave you somebody who, who can teach you how to worship me, how to bless me, how to praise me. I'm so proud of my daughter, Jessica. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> how the Lord uses her to lead us into the transformative presence of God. But not only Jessica, the entire praise and worship team. Can we just praise God for them? You, know, you all are... Thank you, both musicians and those who are here and those who have been filling in. Without you, you all make preaching easy. Without you, I'd have to be B-O-A-Y, be, bring my own anointed. And so thank you all for that. Exhibit E, as I said, I gave you a worship leader. Exhibit F, verse 5, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him. In other words, exhibit uh, F was Balak, and exhibit G was Balaam. And you can read it in around Numbers 23, where, where, where uh, God, where Balaam, a king, he hires this false prophet, uh, Balaam, and he wants Balaam to <laughs> he wants Balaam to curse the people of Israel. And Balaam says, "I can't curse the people." He's a, he's a false prophet, but he is a prophet, and he says, I, "I can't curse. I can only say what God wants me to say." Uh, in fact, he was. If you remember the story, and I don't want to 
stay here too long, but he, he, he went to curse the people of God for money, and as he's on his way, he's riding a donkey, here goes that donkey again, and, and the donkey sees an angel who's ready to kill Balaam because Balaam is trying to curse the people of God when God says, no, you can't curse who I bless. And so the donkey uh, moves to the right of the road, moves to the left of the road, then finally crushes uh, Balaam's leg against the wall because the, because the angel is standing with a sword ready to kill Balaam. And, 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 and uh, Balaam hits the donkey, slaps the donkey, and the donkey looks up to Balaam and starts prophesying to Balaam. It's a funny scene. You really need to read it. And he says, dude, why you hit me for? Hee-haw, I know. Thank you, honey. Why you hit me for, man? Have, have I ever acted like this? And, and Balaam's like, you idiot. Why you trying to that? He said, dude, don't you see this angel? He's trying to kill you. And the angel said, you better thank your donkey. Turn to somebody and say, thank your donkey. <laughs> because if this donkey didn't stop, I would have killed you. Thank you, honey. I would have jacked you up. Because you're going to curse the people. And so God, again, intervenes and stops the people of God from being cursed. And then finally, it says, he ends with this, exhibit H, which is eight. The number eight means new beginnings. And he says, what happened at Shittim and Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord? Oh, my goodness. Jessica, Sheldon, Darren, Timothy, I can run around the church. He said, after what I did from Shittim to Gilgal. Now you're like, what does that, what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. Gilgal was on the east side of the Jordan. Shittim was on the west side of the Jordan. Separating the two was seven miles. What God was saying to them is, you can look it up in Joshua chapter 3, he said, I parted the Jordan. Woo! so that you could pass through and brought you on the other side. Ha, huh. what are you saying, Bishop? I'm saying, God is saying, after all I brought you through, when the enemy came in like a flood, I parted the water so that you could go through. And how can you treat me like this? after I brought you through. It, you should have drowned in the, the waters. You should have been destroyed in the wilderness. But I'm, ah, I made a way where there was no way. And after all of that, how can you act like this? And Micah, in response to all the evidence, he stands as a defense lawyer, knowing that his defense is inadequate. So Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God and I? 
Shall I come before him and bring burnt offerings with calves a year old? Verse 7, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and ten thousands of rivers of oil, the anointed? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, like what happened in Egypt? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Like, like I have nothing to say. I am guilty. And so are my people. And he says, what has the Lord told you, O man? What is good? What does the Lord require of us? He wants us to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before our God. Or as my title simply said, when it comes to biblical justice, I'm good ain't good enough. I'm good ain't good enough. You see, biblical justice, as we've been using as a definition, means removing every obstacle and providing every opportunity for people to flourish and accomplish their God-given purpose. And so, as you know, our theme for PT in 2021 is biblical justice. And you see that main scripture that I just quoted in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, where he says, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Mishpah. It is, it is, a, it is a Hebrew word, mishpah, which means the action it means giving people their rights. In other words, doing justice, you can't simply say, hey, I'm, I'm doing all right when other people are not. I like what, I like what uh, uh, Tim Keller once said. He said these words. You look at somebody and say, well, he did no bad. But the question is not, did he do bad? The question was, did he do any good? Give people their rights. Who, what do you mean people their rights? Give the widow substance, substance. Take care of the orphan. Take care of the broken, the disadvantaged. And if you think this is an Old Testament doctrine, James, who was Jesus' half-brother, mm -hmm. Jesus' half-brother, same mother, different father, of course, he says true religion. He says if you, if you, he basically says read James chapter 1 and then also James chapter 2. James chapter 1 says, tells, you, tells you what true religion is. True re he says if you, if you say you have religion and you can't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. So true religion is is shutting your mouth when you need to shut your mouth and stop talking about people. Oh, oh, you want the scripture? Read it for yourself. And then he says, real religion. So he says, basically, if you can't keep your mouth shut, you're, you're, just, you're just fooling yourself to think you're religious. Then he says, real religion is, is, is taking care of the widows, taking care of the orphans. 
And then he goes on and, 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 uh, and he talks about if a guy is hungry and you don't feed him, but you say, hey, God bless you, keep worshiping. He says, dude, that, 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 that is not justice. That is not right. And then I love what he concludes in chapter two. He says, he says, you say you have faith? I'll tell you what, I will show you not only my faith, but I'll show you my works. He said, as the body without the spirit uh, is dead, so faith without works is dead. But it's not just doing, doing the action. Like, okay, I did the work. No, no. He says, do justice, but love mercy or love kindness. So there is mishpah, which is the action of justice, but there is kadesh, kesed, which is the attitude. The attitude, like, like what is your heart posture when you are trying to do acts of kindness? Here's an interesting thing that happened to me because as I'm focused on this justice thing, uh, Elder Leon, now um, what's happening to me, uh, Mom Valerie, is that, is that now when I see people who, who, uh, who uh, are asking for money, I, I carry what I call gleaning money. What do you mean gleaning money? In, in, the old, in an Old Testament, when you read the book of Ruth, you know, they were required to not 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 harvest every inch of wheat and every inch of barley. They're supposed to leave some for the poor so that they could glean the leftovers. And so I usually carry a few dollar bills in my pocket or in my car so that if I stop somewhere, I'm not giving them change, I'm giving them dollars, okay? So, I'm, I'm, so my mentality now is in this posture of justice wherever I go. So I, I, I was... I was um, at a stoplight, and there was a man uh, who, he had a walker, and if, if you see people who go shopping, if they have a lot of bags, and they, uh, and they live like close to the supermarket, close enough that they can walk, but uh, that what happens is that they will have a basket, uh, like, a, like a carriage, and they'll put their baskets in, and they'll carry it. You know what I'm talking about? They'll carry it. And so this man, he had one of those, but he was in a walker. He had a walker. So he's, he's going across the street, and he's doing this. So I'm watching him. And I'm looking at the light saying, man, this light's going to turn green and he ain't going to make it around. And these dudes behind me are going to be like ticked off and honking. And so I heard the Holy Spirit say, well, don't just sit in your car. Get out and help the man. And so I kind of pulled over because he's still doing this. And I, and I went to help him. And he said, get out of here. I want your help. And I was a little embarrassed, like, wow, in this season of racial injustice, you know, a black man trying to help a white brother, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he's yelling at me, and no, I got back in my car, and part of me was like, well, bunk you then. 
You know, I did say bonk. <laughs> and, and, and the Lord said to me, were you helping him to feel good about yourself? Or are you willing to do an act of kindness even when it's unappreciated? Not everybody you help is going to be saying, bravo, give them a crown. There are some people who God is going to call us to give justice to who will not appreciate it. Where's that in the Bible? Oh, there's a guy hanging on the cross. His name is Jesus, trying to help a brother out, and they crucified him. And while he's on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. See, see, where's your heart posture in this, in this work of justice? When we go into the prisons and they don't, Appreciate the time you spend. Do you say, I could be doing something, I don't have to come. No, 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 no. Jesus says, when I was in prison, you visited me. He didn't say, when I was in prison, you visited me, and I really appreciated all that you did. Ooh, tell somebody, that was a, that's a tough word. That's not a bad word, that's a tough word. The, uh, the book that I'm, one of the books that I'm traveling through, I'm almost finished here, is uh, Generous Justice by Tim Keller. And Tim Keller says, biblical, the biblical idea of being just is usually translated in being righteous. And this is where white evangelicals and Pentecostals um, mess up when it comes to being righteous. Because... What we say about being righteous is simply this. Um, if I pray, if I fast, if I read the Bible, if I um, worship God, memorize scripture, live a clean life, then I am a righteous person. In other words, basically, I'm good. But biblical righteousness tells us that our righteousness ain't good enough because as shared in the, in the uh, video and we're going to discover that being righteous means not simply I'm good, but it's a commitment to making sure other relationships are good. In other words, me being good ain't good enough. Bible scholar Alec Motier, uh, Motier M-O-T-Y-E-R of Trinity College in the UK, he says this, uh, a righteous, that is a justice person, the word uh, uh, Zedekah, as we heard in the video, is a person who lives a life committed to being right with God, walk humbly before your God, and therefore is committed to putting all, putting right all other relationships in life. So there is a, I am not only living right with God, but I'm making sure that I'm making, that all other relationships 
are right. So it bothers me when the fatherless doesn't have people to take care of them. It should bother me when the widow is struggling. It should be bother me when the disadvantaged. I can't simply say, I'm blessed, I'm doing well, and that's good enough. This is biblical justice. So if your, if your righteousness is only affecting you, the Bible say you're not really righteous. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the greatest example, we'll, we'll use him as a case study, is Job. Because we, we, we get so caught up in Job's prayer life and his integrity, we don't read the rest of the scriptures where Job says, the reason why I'm righteous, and he lists about, there's two chapters that list everything he does. In other words, when it comes to being a righteous person or doing justice, being simply good with God isn't good enough. And so um, let me close with how we're going to unfold and on our journey of justice. Every month we're going to focus on a justice issue, and you can see it on your screen. Um, this month we're focusing on uh, racial justice. I'm really excited about what God's going to be doing through that. Uh, the following month we'll be dealing with uh, homeless and then the end of the year, we're going to be dealing with uh, those who are caught up in the, adjust in the injustices of our prison system. The reason why the Lord was dealing with us with regards to offenses and forgiveness, because you can't do the work of justice if you can't even have a right relationship with the person who you eventually, eventually will sit next to in the pew. And let me, let, me, let me move this so I can look straight at you, straight at you, straight at you. Some of you are still, still have the audacity to take communion and not be right with your brother and sister. Yet you want to save the world and tell the white man, and we want our rights. And God is like, how about giving your brother and sister who you have held in bondage because they offended you, how about dealing with that first? Stop talking to me about how you've been offended by white people and how, you know, the racist system. And God is tired of hearing that. How about you handle your business in the house of the Lord? The Bible says that you should do good, especially. It's in the book. It's in the rule book. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Especially whenever you have an opportunity, do right by the people, especially in the household of faith. And yet you're still taking communion and then wonder why stuff is happening when God is saying, you are insulting my body. How you like that? And the reason why I'm so hard about this and God is so hard about this is because we got work to do out there. Why are we going to bring people into more mess? We ain't even handling our business. How are you going to love somebody who never even met and you can't even love the person you see? I be, mm, you know, 
You ain't, let me, you gotta give me five right here, thank you. You need to give me five like my wife gives me five. Okay, there you go. I believe that's why, one of the reasons why God is not, not allowing us to meet together. He's given us time to get our stuff together. This pi- Jessica, you need to come up here and give me a five. That's all right. You can just, just give me five right here. This pandemic is a laxative. That's a bad word right there. In case you can't see it, folks are standing up. This, this pandemic is a laxative. God is cleaning out this church so that we will get our stuff together so that when we come back together, the Holy Spirit doesn't have to do all this because, oh, whoa, they're not talking. So tell somebody, get your stuff together. Apologize. Drop your defense. I'm not coming back to PT because, because they didn't recognize my birthday. Please. Oh, my goodness. I... Hmm. And so, next Sunday, if you come back, I'm going to deal with prejudice in the church. Ash Wednesday, there's going to be repentance from my white brethren. And you know why God ain't having white people apologize to you? Because you're too mean to accept an apology. You know, I ain't scared of you. And then I'm really excited about this. On the 21st of February, my good friend and those of you who have been on the injustice, not the injustice, the justice, the biblical justice prayer uh, uh, lines, my good friend who we've been praying through this pandemic and gotten really close and intimate um, in our relationship as brothers in the Lord, Pastor Dan Smith, he's going to preach on that Sunday. And he's the only, this, uh, this was God, how he brought us together, because they're the only church I know that have been working three years on how to give reparations to people of color, like real stuff. And so I'm excited about hearing, allowing you to hear, because I've heard how they're working through this uh, process of giving reparations to churches of color and people of color. So this is going to be a powerful month, but it's not going to go anywhere until there is repentance. Some of you husbands need to repent to your wives. Some of your wives need to repent to your husbands. Some of your children repent to your parents. Some of your parents need to repent to your children. Let's get the stuff out of our church so that Holy Spirit can do what he wants to do. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for your word. You ain't playing, Lord. You are serious. And Lord, Lord, the sad thing about Micah's prophecy, because we can read Micah and Isaiah and say, wow, why didn't those people listen? Well, Lord, you're speaking to us. 20 centuries, actually 25 centuries, no, 27 centuries later, 
you're speaking to us about the same stuff. Make relationships right in the house of God and make relationships right out in the world. Lord, I'm excited. I, I really believe that you have raised this church up to be one of the key churches that you want to use for racial reconciliation. And Lord, I believe that we're not just going to be boxed into doing church stuff. I really believe that you want to use us to be, bring transformation to the city of Cambridge, to, to get into the government, to get into the educational system, Lord, to get into media. Lord, you really want to expand our sphere of influence, but we've got to get justice right based on what the Bible says and not what any other professor or organization says what justice is. Biblical justice is, is so much bigger than social justice. We act, we need to remind ourselves, just like marriage, God, you invented marriage, you're the one who invented justice. Yes, we love Martin Luther King and these many wonderful icons, but they did not invent justice. You did. And so we're going back to you. So, Father, I pray that if there's anybody who never asked Jesus to come into their heart, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus, whose name means the Lord saves, the Lord rescues, shall be saved. You can... Right where you are, you can say, Jesus, come into my heart because I'm a sinner. You died for my sins, and you rose again so that I could become a child of God. So, Jesus, come into my heart. If you do that, you will be saved. And if you do that, if you said that prayer, if you ask Jesus to come into your heart, just contact us, whether it's through our website or through the information that's below the screen. Get in contact with us and let us know so that we can help you grow in the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads as I bless you. May the Lord bless you with his shalom, his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success. And this week, even in the midst of this snow, may the Lord remove anything that causes agitation or discord with his divine purpose and destiny for your life. I bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody say, I receive that blessing, and I am going to go forth and do the work of justice. God bless you.